Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Welcome to episode 1528. Our guest today will be talking about the CARES Act and the HEROES Act. But in the news, median home prices grew in 96% of all U.S. metros during the second quarter. Now, isn't that kind of amazing to you? It's amazing to me. It's amazing because all of the doomsayers were saying the end of the world would occur. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is exactly the reason that the market timers never win. Well, I should take that back. They win occasionally, but they don't win long-term ever, ever, ever. They just don't. Because anybody, uh, you know, anybody sitting in February or March of this year would have said, oh my God, the economy is collapsing. The real estate market is collapsing. Oh my gosh, people are doing rent strikes. People are doing forbearance. Everything's going to collapse. I'm going to keep my powder dry. I'm going to save my cash. I'm going to be ready this time. And I'm going to go in and swoop up all the great deals when all these people are going bankrupt and going into foreclosure. And the exact opposite has happened. Now, granted, it's never over until the fat lady sings. Sorry if that wasn't a politically correct statement. It probably wasn't, but oh well. Anyway, that's the saying, right? It's never over till the fat lady sings. And it's not over. We all get that. We are still in this. We're in the third inning. A lot could happen still, for sure. No question about it. But look, the intelligent thinking, the intelligent person, the intelligent investor, the empowered investor is simply going to follow the 23 of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and they're going to look at commandment number five, thou shalt not gamble. And they're going to evaluate the property using the Property Tracker software at propertytracker.com. And they're going to realize that if the property makes sense today, then I should buy it. And not try and be the bottom feeder and not try and time the market you know, occasionally the market timers win, but they never win in the big picture. It's like the other old saying, and this one, well, it's probably politically incorrect too, so sorry, I know I'm an equal opportunity offender, okay? You know the old saying, right? You may have won the battle, but you lost the war. You may have won the battle, but you lost the war, right? And that's exactly what happens with the market timers. And guess who else that happens with? 
The home flippers. Yes. The people that are focused on instant gratification. The people that are focused on winning the battle rather than the war. Remember, life is a marathon, not a sprint. Is that another old saying? I think it is. Unless I just made it up. I don't think I made it up. <laughs> so we got three old sayings, okay? All politically incorrect. Never over to the fat lady sings. Obviously, that offends people. Uh, and then we've got, you may have won the battle, but you lost the war. That's going to offend people because, oh, it's war, it's military, it's violent, it's evil, it's awful. You're all going to think of George Bush, the evil George Bush. Boy, you know, I used to hear his name all the time, eight years into the Obama presidency. Everybody used to talk about how, oh, everything's screwed up because of George Bush. Now they got Trump to blame instead. <laughs> so there you go. And then life is a marathon, not a sprint. Well, that's offensive to us non-runners. You know, I'm not a runner. I've never done a marathon. I have done a few sprints, but I just find that to be totally offensive. So is there a safe space for me? I want a safe space because, uh, you know, I'm so fragile. That just offends me if I'm not a runner and you're using a runner analogy. <laughs> Folks, this is the ridiculous world we live in. It's so ridiculous. It's becoming so ridiculous. Okay, enough of that. Let's get to the discussion at hand here, Jason. Enough of your crazy social commentary. The culture war. Oh, don't use a war metaphor. You're going to offend somebody. Anyway, back to the thing. So the market timers, they just totally lost the battle for sure. They lost the battle that they thought they were going to win. But the reality is they always seem to lose the war when the people who don't agonize over timing the market, they win the war. And they win a lot of battles, too. But they don't win every battle. Because, you know, they might have missed out on some great story about how, you know, someone in some cyclical market bought this property and it went up by 33% in two years. And then the other person, the tortoise and the hare, is that offensive, too? Probably. Probably someone's going to be offended. Anyway, the tortoise and the hare, you know, who wins the race? The race goes to the slow and the steady. And all that time, you slow and steady people, that's most of you, the highly intelligent people. I know, that's offensive to people who aren't highly intelligent. So those people are sitting there with their properties in all these linear markets, you know, the ones they bought at jasonhartman.com slash properties. That's offensive because it's commercial promotion. You can't commercially promote anything. Capitalism is offensive. <laughs> Folks, sometimes you just gotta call it out because it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous world we're living in. Ay, ay, ay. So you're sitting there with your properties in Memphis, in Indianapolis, in, in Atlanta, in Ocala, in Jacksonville, and wherever, you know, those properties you bought, Little Rock, whatever, that you bought at jasonartman.com slash properties. And you're thinking, I'm so jealous of this guy who got his property in Los Angeles, and it went up by 33% in two years. But that was years ago. And then... It went down 
by 20% in one year, and then it went down another 10% the following year, and it went into a slump. And that's the difference between the linear market and the cyclical market. The cyclical market is the sprinter who gets tired really fast because they're running too hard. And the linear market is the marathon runner, the one that's just the slow and steady wins the day. Okay. You know, you're not going to see any sprinters going 26.2 miles. And you're certainly not going to see me doing that without a car. (laughs) Because I believe in automobiles. I'm a believer. Yeah. So 96% of the metros saw a price a price increase. Wow. That's just amazing. And that's in the second quarter when everybody thought the world was ending. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. There were 15 metro areas that saw double-digit price growth. This is according to NAR, the National Association of Realtors. By the way, I just interviewed this morning someone I've been wanting to interview for a long time. That is Leslie Appleton Young, the chief economist for the California Association of Realtors. Some great insights came out of that interview. It's coming up. Don't worry. You'll get to hear it. And we talked for about an hour with slides and visual aids. And, you know, I've been I've been wanting to have her on for a long time because I've been following her work for like 30 years. Yes, 30 years. Okay, not like these newbies that just started their podcast that don't know anything. I've been around a while. There's some value to experience. That must be offensive to inexperienced people. Sorry. Okay. Um, (laughs) We live in a ridiculous upside down world. Anyway, so 15 metro areas saw double digit price growth. Okay. One of them was Huntsville, Alabama, 13.5%. Well, you want to buy some properties in Huntsville? We got them. Reach out to your investment counselor through jasonhartman.com or by calling 1-800-HARTMAN and we'll help you with properties in Huntsville. And we'll also help you with properties in Memphis. Walking in Memphis with my feet 10 feet off a beal. Is that how it goes? That's such a great song. Who's that? Mark Cohn or something like that? That's a great song, Walking in Memphis. Anyway, Memphis went up by 13.4%. I'm feeling good because I own several properties in Memphis. Yeah, yeah, baby. Good. And I own a property in Alabama too, but not in Huntsville. You know, remember, don't necessarily do what I do because some of the stuff I did, I did 15 years ago. So it's not necessarily the same game today. Okay. You know, it changes. It changes. That's why you have an investment counselor. Boise, Idaho, a market that we used to sell in many years ago, but it got too expensive. 12.6% increase. Spokane, Washington, that's always been a little too expensive for our taste, but they saw some price growth at 11.8%. And Indianapolis, yes, I'm, we're, I'm strongly invested in Indianapolis as a business person and have a little piece of a property there with a client of ours. 10.8% in Indianapolis and Phoenix, a hybrid market, 10.2%. So remember, it's not just about the value increase. Why? Well, you know the answer, because it's also about the multidimensional aspect, which of course includes cash flow, income, rent-to-value ratio, right? You got it, you got it. Of course you got it, because you listen to the show. Now, 
I told you yesterday that I would uh, wrap up this concept, and I think we're wrapping it up, for just a moment before we get to our guest here. The true cost of housing, right? Which really is, you know, some folks, they don't get it. They just don't get it. So the one more thing I did have to tell you about that is taking, remember, 2006, 6.41% interest, 2020, 1.99% interest. Don't all expect to get 1.99. That's just the quoted rate. You got to jump through a few hoops to get that. And it's not, and these are both owner-occupied rates. So I am comparing apples to apples, okay? 1.99%. The payment on a $100,000 mortgage in 2006, $626.16 per month. The payment on the same $100,000 mortgage today, $369.12. But wait, there's more. What more is there? Well, if you pay $627 today and you adjust those dollars for inflation and you go back in time to understand the amount of that payment over time, the time value of money, and, you know, the net present value analysis. 627 today was equivalent to $493.48 in 2006. That's by the official Bureau of Labor Statistics CPI U index. The Shadow Stats Index says it's only $179.63. We are going to dive more into that on a future episode because eh, even I am... Although it would really make my case if I said I agreed with shadow stats, I'm not totally sure I do. But the $100,000 mortgage amount today, $100,000, equivalent to $78,705.34, according to BLS CPIU numbers in 2006. So there's your point of reference. Remember, folks, the thing we all have to understand is that this is all a moving target, but... But, 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 since you can borrow $170,000 today for the same cost, I mean, within a dollar and 30 cents, okay? Let's just call it the same, certainly close enough. So that $170,000 mortgage today, the 70% gift from Uncle Jerome Powell is equivalent in $2,006 to $133,799.07. BLS CPIU index. So what does that mean? That means we do get a $170,000 mortgage for the same monthly dollar amount in nominal dollars, not real dollars, not constant dollars, See, constant dollars are adjusted for inflation. Real dollars are adjusted for inflation. These are nominal dollars, meaning in name only. That's still the name of those dollars. $627 in 2006, $627 today, it's called the same thing. Nominal terms. In nominal terms, in name only. The name is the same, but the value is different. So it's fair to say, look, Jason... You're adjusting the payment based on the interest rate. You talked about adjusting the payment based on inflation by indexing that payment. 
so that it would be in real dollars versus nominal dollars. But what you didn't tell us yet is you didn't tell us the mortgage amount adjusted for inflation. So there I have now told you, $170,000 today was equivalent to $133,799 in 2006. So when you try to determine the ultimate question, the Jason Hartman question, compared to what? Compared to what is the question? So you have to compare this to understand reality, right? We don't know what is reality until we compare things to different points in time and adjust for inflation. That is also, there are so many uses to the compared to what question. That's the ultimate question. And so that's why I do this analysis for you. So you have a compared to what. There are many people who believe, and now science is finally starting to explore this stuff, and I'm no expert, okay? So I'm not talking about my own experience, but I am curious, very curious, I must admit, who are experiencing, or or, not experiencing, well, they are experiencing, I guess, but they're experimenting with psychedelic drugs, okay? And I know that everybody's, of course, going to have very mixed feelings about this stuff. I am not one of these people, but I got to admit, I'm certainly curious. And I've never been to Burning Man or taken LSD or anything like that, right? So, but, you know, this is curious stuff. And it begs the question, and now science is finally really exploring this stuff because the stigma is going away. And I think this is a good thing, that the stigma is going away, because these are not, these kinds of you know, substances, a lot of them are plant materials, okay? They're, they were considered medicine by previous cultures, okay? Maybe now we're the people, you know, our society is nuts and the ancient cultures were, you know, they had it figured out and we don't have it figured out. Who knows? I don't know. I'm not making a moral judgment or even a cultural judgment. I'm just saying that, you know, the compared to what question applies to a lot of things. Because really from a you know, a quantum physics point of view and an Einstein point of view. You know, there are a lot of people throughout time who have asked, what is real? What is reality? Define it. Uh, You know, Elon Musk says we're living in a simulation right now. And hey, listen, go on YouTube and watch some videos about that. It's pretty fascinating. And that's not about psychedelics like, you know, plant uh, you know, mushrooms or anything like that. It's just about, you know, that we're living in a simulation, a parallel universe of this, that, and the other thing. I don't know. You know, this is these are questions nobody really has the answer to so far as I know. But they do need to ask the question compared to what? And that's why we need to analyze the value of our currency so we have a compared to what. There are all kinds of different perceptions of everything of what is real. What is the real value of a dollar? What is real life? What is reality? What is matter? What is antimatter? What is dark matter? These are just crazy, complex questions. So I guess I'll leave you with that. Boy, we went all over the board today, didn't we? Okay, now we've got our guest today who's going to talk about something much more pragmatic. 
But in an alternate universe, they might consider this to be really out there. <laughs> I don't think you'll consider it that way. Uh, so let's go ahead and dive into that. Let's get to our guest. If we can help you, of course, reach out jasonhartman.com or 1-800-HARTMAN and uh, take advantage of these low rates. Take advantage of properties that make sense the day you buy them from a commandment number five perspective. Thou shalt not gamble. And here is our guest. It's my pleasure to welcome Julio Gonzalez to the show. He is the founder of Engineered Tax Services. They specialize in helping companies, developers, manufacturers gain tax credit information. They consult on that. And he has a lot of inside information into what the economy is doing by nature of doing that, I'm sure. And today we want to talk about the stimulus packages, the CARES Act, the HEROES Act. Let's kind of dive in to see how that might affect a potential for a recovery. Julio, welcome. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's good to have you. Give us a little background as to, you know, maybe just quickly what you do. And you sort of see things early in the economic cycle. If people are buying equipment for a manufacturing facility, if they're going to be developing properties, you know, they're consulting with you and asking about uh, tax credits and what's available to them. So you're probably very early in seeing what's going to happen in the economy uh, years hence, right? Yeah, there's no question about it. We do tax credits in the areas of manufacturing, real estate structure, infrastructure. So clearly, we are seeing it in progress before the public season. Certainly, you know, we have a good feel for those economies and how it ultimately impacts our national economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So given that, what are you seeing? We know that real estate development is booming. I mean, there's a m- massive shortage in housing, especially now with COVID and then the race riots, people are fleeing high density cities and they want to move to the suburbs, which I can't blame them. I think they're making a great decision getting out of the cities. So tons of demand. I mean, it's uh, maybe counterintuitive, you know, three, four months ago, everybody thought the world was coming to an end, but it's feels like the complete opposite is happening. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I think there's been winners and losers in the real estate. I think you're right. I think people are moving out and that's creating a housing shortage and, you know, obviously demand. But, you know, we have retailers, you know, the big malls. Yeah, that's a problem. You know, obviously. the hotels are suffering, right? So we have winners and losers and certainly, you know, we'll figure out how the losers adapt and the winners are certainly taking advantage of the uh, changing times for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you do you get involved when it comes to tax credits in um, a reuse of properties, reuse of retail properties, reuse of hotels? I mean, some of those are trying to turn into residential. I have a, a buddy of mine that's doing a deal on a hotel property to turn it into low income housing. You know, those are pretty small homes or condos or apartments, yeah. you know, to turn uh, hotel rooms into apartments. But do you get involved in that? Do people consult with you on tax credits there? Or is that not a big thing? Yeah, I mean, that's what they do. And we're seeing tremendous amounts of hotels shifting to affordable housing, right, small units. And I think that's something we're going to see, especially in the big cities, and the regions where you know, there's a demand for that and no demand for hotels and the hotels are closing, foreclosing. And, you know, so what's the alternative for that kind of product? And it really has been in the affordable housing. Mm-hmm. So, but, but I can't imagine that's going to work very well. I mean, I know there will be some of it, but I just, I don't think it's a big 
big trend. You know, I, I can't see it that way. And plus, you know, most of these hotels have one of the danger zones that I think people are fleeing from. And that's what I call an elevator. <laughs> um, you know, that's, yeah. a, that's a, if you're worried about a virus, you do not want to be in an elevator, that's for sure. And so typically a hotel is, is a high rise or, you know, at least a couple, three, four stories, you know, four stories, I guess would be super common uh, configuration. That's true. Yeah. That's true. So we'll see how that goes. What about you know, retail properties, shopping malls, uh, you know, or just shopping centers. Yeah, the REITs really are trying to go into these shopping centers and create distribution centers from them and, you know, try to redesign them in a way that, you know, we've seen distribution be a real winner in the real estate industry mm-hmm. where uh, the malls have been the, the real loser. But maybe that was coming anyway, right? Yeah. You know, maybe that was... Yeah something that just got accelerated through this pandemic. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. A lot of stuff has been accelerated, no question about that. I think Um, so. So, you know, with a stimulus, you know, with a a government program, it always, you know, encourages bad behavior, if you will. And when things started reopening, employers were really struggling to get people to come back to work because they were actually, in many cases, making more money sitting at home on the couch than working with a, with a bonus stimulus, right? <laughs> or, or or they were using it to gamble on Robinhood in the stock market. That's right. That's right. Cra- crazy stuff. That's right. So d- tell us about the last program and then the possibility of the new stimulus. Yeah, I mean, the CARES Act was really kind of a temporary band-aid of programs that would hopefully get us through, you know, the summer thinking that by then we would have addressed the virus in a way that maybe we were finding cures or maybe we were coming up with vaccines or better ways to adjust to it but that hasn't you know really played out so you know the next step is to have basically the cares 2 program or the heroes act which would you know one thing right we're doing the $600 extended uh, vacation of the uh, basically the uh, payments going out and you know the senate doesn't want to extend that anymore through the heroes act they feel that 10 million jobs are sitting at home because they're getting the extra $600 in benefit to do so. And so if you saw their uh, version of the bill came out yesterday, they said we would compromise. Maybe we would do $100. Maybe we would do $200 to people under a certain income level. But we certainly weren't going to extend the $600 to keep 10 million jobs from staying at home. Right. But what if people can't go back to work? What if, you know, their local government or even their state government has said, you got to stay locked down? Then what do people do? Yeah. And certainly the House feels that way and wants to get that $600 extended. And the Senate feels it should be something lower than that. I mean, here's the risk. It's like, okay, we continue to put this money out. We increase our debt, right? And I guess that debt, is that a good investment if we continue to pay that out? Will that ultimately stimulate the economy or put us into a worse economy? And that's what I think they're trying to debate right now between the House and Senate. Yeah. So with all this debt and this money creation, I mean, it's absolutely crazy that it's like, you know, the government just acts like we can just create funny money out of thin air forever. And, you know, there's no consequences. Are there consequences? You just alluded to that. So. Well, I mean, the consequences, I think, are could be tr- traumatic. I mean, it could be massive inflation, you know, that we follow up with this. And who, how are we going to pay it? And, you know, we're paying all this money to interest and debt. You know, how do we pay for other things, infrastructure and other things? I mean, there's only so much money that comes into the tax system, right, to the IRS and right. Treasury. 
that we pay. Right. And if a lot of that money is going strictly to debt, then how do we grow the economy? How do we have other programs? Right. It would be challenging. But, you know, the, the magic question is, can we defy gravity and just create new fake money forever and, uh, you know, build roads and give people bailouts and stimulus and, you know, bail out American Airlines and you know, whatever else we want? I mean, I don't know. It's uh, people are asking, where's all the inflation from, you know, the Great Recession stimulus from now? But I think they're asking the wrong question. How would it have been differently if they didn't do that? There certainly is some inflation in, in you know, tuition, which that's a whole nother argument. That's a complete ripoff, obviously. Yeah, Healthcare, sure. you know, food prices are going through the roof. They're at a five-decade high right now. And I'm noticing that, you know, every time I sure. go to the grocery store, you probably, I mean, we live near each other. So you might shop yeah. at that same Trader Joe's I shop at on PGA Boulevard sometimes. That's right. <laughs> you know, and I, I was there and, you know, it, it used to be $80 for groceries and now it's $120, $130. You know, and it seems like I'm getting kind of the same amount of groceries. So uh, it's prices are going up, aren't they? Well, that's that's really what impacts, you know, the uh, consumers. Right. I mean, the groceries and those kind of cost housing. Right. And so those are big challenges, right, that we have to ultimately you, you saw um, the Tea Party, right, the uh, Meadows and the other uh, senators you know, they're afraid to put any out any more debt. You know, they, they really are truly scared of the consequences of that and trying to come up with a plan that maybe doesn't increase the debts, but encourages, you know, other behavior through credits. Yeah, interesting. So, you know, sum it up for us. I mean, where do you think we're going? You know, do, do you have any predictions on, on what's, what's coming next? Well, I think, you know, clearly we've seen some good signs that some of these vaccines are in trial phase three, Phase four, they're having some good success. Well, like the HEROES Act, they want to put out $1 trillion and 25% of that, $230 you know, billion is for the vaccine and finding cures. So that's a big part of it. The other part, bailing out the industries that have been hurt the most, some stimulus money going back to the individuals. I think they're trying to quantify the amounts, find the recovery, right? Because once the virus goes away, you know, I, I think we would see the economy come back if we don't go too far into Great Depression, right? If we kind of continue to stabilize and open up and uh, get to a point where the vaccines kind of kick in and then we could see better days. Yeah. Well, vaccines take a long time and nobody knows if the vaccine will be safe. Certainly anti-vaxxers were out before, but uh, I think yeah. with this one, there's even even more concern. And also vaccinating 7 billion people. I mean, yeah. that, that doesn't happen in a month. Okay. That, that doesn't happen, right? <laughs> it, it, it probably takes, I don't know, how long does it take to do that, to manufacture all those vaccines and administer them? That's, that's going to yeah. take years. I mean, I mean at yes. least a year, right? I, I, nobody knows. Right. It's never been done, right? Right. Yeah, wow. Yeah, something. Um, any, anything else you're seeing that you want to share or, uh, you know, maybe share some insights into, uh, because we have a lot of real estate investor listeners, you know, some of the things that developers do in terms of tax credits they get and things like that. I, I just think that's a pretty fascinating kind of behind the scenes world that the typical real estate investor, obviously the typical real estate consumer they don't see it. They don't think much about it. What levels of government are you dealing with? Is it just local or? No, it's federal, it's state and uh, local as well. So like there's 
20 tax credits associated with investing in real estate at the federal level, making a building energy efficient generates tax credits, making a building renovated from a place of an old and worn out uh, real estate project, credits associated with bringing a building back to life, a building for making the facade easements better, the air rights above the building can be sold and the buildings with the components within a building can be accelerated based on the premium product that's placed into a building. So there's how, how, how do the air rights create a tax credit? Well, basically the air rights can be sold. So, and you can sell them as credits, you can sell them as cash. You, you see, sometimes people don't need the, the credits, so they cash them out. And, uh, and it's a great market, right? So you have air rights above you, you're zoned to go up to eight stories, but you're at four stories, mm-hmm. and someone wants to go to add stories, but they don't have any air rights, so oh, those transferred. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, got it, got it. So you can yeah. sell them to that building, and That's they, right. they can build higher. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Okay. So you said there were 20, though. Uh, yeah, there's so many. I mean, yeah. there's ways to accelerate depreciation within a building through a cost segregation sure. study. Yep, I've you done can, those. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we do about 400 a month. So, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. You appreciate those, right? If yeah. you make the building energy efficient. Mm-hmm. One of the credits we're seeing a lot of now is putting the 5G rooftop antennas up on the buildings you know the uh is this, so is the government incentivizing uh 5g for 100 percent, right because their goal is to have the new internet the new web out there in the next few years and the five carriers really the at&t's the verizons of the world are in a desperate race to get up there you saw they had two big lawsuits because they said there were 5g everywhere they were 5g probably nowhere right. and uh so, but their FCC licenses require them to be on every rooftop, basically, and so that's a mad dash. The prop, the problem is they don't know the property owners, right? Mm-hmm. And so they've been living in the world of big antennas on land, but not right. getting on rooftops, and that's been the big dilemma for them. So, yeah, there's certain tax credits associated with that type of infrastructure because the government knows that you know the automation and the things that we want to do as a country aren't available without that 5G web throughout the country. Yeah, yeah, well, that's interesting. Uh, what about the Opportunity Zone? Are you uh, are you consulting on Opportunity Zone stuff at all? Tremendous. Yeah, we uh, do a lot of that. Obviously, through the pandemic, we've had a little slowdown, but obviously the, the uh, CARES Act extended the uh, Opportunity Zone. And again, what a wonderful tax program to go into areas that, need structures to bring back business and don't have that infrastructure and and certainly you have some tax gain benefits obviously. I, I think they're going to have to make that tax benefit even sweeter now because a lot of those opportunity zones are places where there's been a lot of civil unrest i mean i can't imagine businesses wanting to go into those places or, or developers wanting to you know anybody wanting anything built there but you know i know people will chase tax credits obviously but i think before i look at opportunity zone is a pretty complex thing right mm-hmm. um and i yes. interviewed uh one of the authors of the opportunity zone for the obama administration on the show before and uh-huh. um and you know you got to be a developer you've got to do improvements which i think ultimately is just going to cause gentrification every government program just backfires i'm not i'm not uh, very uh optimistic about government programs doing what they say they're going to do but sure. that's a that's a philosophical discussion but but you know now i mean have you seen any projects halted or 
or maybe just less interest in, in stuff because of the civil unrest. And and also a lot of those areas, I would guess, would be higher density, too. So then yeah. there's the COVID problem, too. I mean, what do you think about that? Post-pandemic, the interest just fell off the cliff. Uh-huh. I mean, where we were seeing funds and developers, you know, being very proactive, that's completely halted. We've seen mm-hmm. projects just stop in the uh, their foot tracks. I mean... The pandemic is basically, you know, from what we're seeing, shut it down. Uh-huh. Wow. So what do you what do you think about that? Is it because, you know, it's sort of earmarked for areas that would be highly affected, like the migration out of places like that uh, due to the pandemic and then the civil unrest? I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. And like you said, you know, for that to go come back, you know, you're going to have to greatly sweeten the uh Sweet pie. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Well, good stuff. Uh, Give out your website and uh, wrap it up with any closing comments you have. Well, appreciate it. Our website is engineeredtaxservices.com. And we appreciate being on your show. And uh, we're very thankful for what you do. And uh, let's continue to get the education out there to help people. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, hartmanmedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own. And if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.